Alright, so we're going to continue this series that we've been in, um, uh, Purpose in the Pain, and it's about suffering, the different reasons why we suffer, uh, the different things that, that God reveals to us in the Bible. And so we've, we've been to a lot of places so far, and, and part of the goal is that, one, we're deepening our roots for the suffering that we might be headed towards at some point. Uh, others is maybe helping us to grow in our faith as we are persevering through current suffering right now. Um, and then for all of us, it's helping us to, to, to grow the categories that we have, expand the categories that we have that we tend to limit God in and what he's doing, why he's doing it. And so part of us looking at this is understanding why does God have suffering in this world? Why, why do we suffer? What are some of the different reasons? And so we've been kind of in the big picture a lot lately. Today, we're also going to stay big picture, and then next week, we're going to start to hone in a little bit more, all right? So, um, as you're uh, hopefully turning to John 9, we tend to learn things based on categories, and we, we, we file things in categories, and if we don't have a category for something, we, we tend to think that it can't be possible, well, let, let, me, let me illustrate this. So if, you, if you're a kid or you have a kid and they're in kindergarten and, and they're learning the basics of math, they learn that in math, if you want to get the number four, you can go about it by adding or subtracting. Now, please hold your stories. I don't want to hear about your super kid who learned about square roots in kindergarten. I don't care. All right? But for the sake of illustration, let's just say in kindergarten, that's where most people are starting to learn. I can get four by adding or subtracting. And so that's the categories that they now have for getting to four. They can add, they can, they can put more in, or they can take some out. And in their world, in their categories that they have, that's the only way to get four. Now, you as a parent, of course, know that there's other categories. But then as they go through school, then, then a, and a grade or two more, they're going to learn that, you no, know, you can also get four by multiplying. Or you can get four by dividing. And so their categories now expand. And so they, they have a little bit more categories to put in their, 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 their topics that they have. How do I get four? Well, I can add, I can subtract, but I could also multiply or divide. And so their categories have expanded. They've, they've, they've grown in understanding the possibilities. And then as they keep going, they find out you could get four by square roots. And they learn more about square roots. And so again, once again, their category has expanded. But if you, if you kept with them, with them a category that they learned in kindergarten, that the only way to get four is adding or subtracting, and they carried that category through the rest of their life, well, you get the point. Or maybe, it, maybe here's another illustration. So as we're younger and we're, we're observing how the world works and we notice that every day the sun goes up in the morning, and at the end of the day, it goes down. And so we talk about the sun rising, and we talk about the sun setting. And so in our categories that we have now at this point, we understand that the sun goes up and it goes down. There's no other possibility in our mind because the categories that we have, that we've been taught, that we've been instructed with, is the sun goes up and the sun goes down. But then, of course, we get into science class and we start to learn more. And, and instead, what we start to learn is the, the earth actually rotates around 
And so we get day and night because the sun, the earth is rotating around. And then we learn that the earth is orbiting around the sun. And so we have new categories now. Instead of the sun going up and the sun going down, we're realizing that that effect is, is coming because the earth is rotating and the seasons are coming because the, sun's, the earth is orbiting around the sun, that the sun is the one that does not move, but the earth moves. And so we've expanded our categories, right? As we're younger, perhaps we look around the world and we think the earth is flat. No, I'm not going there. No, 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 no. All right, so you get my point though, right? There's categories. And, and based on our categories, we limit our understanding of what's possible. But as those categories expand, then also with that comes our understanding of what's possible. And when it comes to suffering, we have to do the same thing. When it comes to suffering, we have categories for how we understand the world to work, how we understand God to work, why we think someone's suffering. And sometimes those categories, oftentimes our categories, are far too limiting on God. And so this morning, we're going to expand those categories. But we're not going to do it alone because we're going to do it with some of Jesus' closest followers. So look with me at John chapter 9. And here's where we're headed this morning. Sometime God's in, God intends to show his works through your suffering. Sometimes God intends to put on display his power, his works through your suffering. But sometimes we can be too limiting in our categories. So let's take a look at that. John chapter 9, verse 1. Now, as Jesus was passing by... So he's been in the midst of interactions with religious leaders. He's in Jerusalem still. And he has, in chapter 8, just made a pretty radical claim. He has made a claim to be God himself in John chapter 8. And at the end of John chapter 8, the religious leaders, fully understanding that Jesus was making that claim to be the I Am, God, Yahweh, picked up stones to kill him. Because that's the judgment that you, you should be giving to someone who is blaspheming God. And so they understood Jesus to be claiming to be God. Obviously, they didn't believe that, so they pick up stones to uh, throw at him and kill him. That's what happened right before 9. So now Jesus is continuing on in Jerusalem. And as he was passing by, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. That's an important detail. He was born this way. This is a man who has never seen with his physical eyes. All he's known is darkness. The world that he was born into, the world that he relates to, all darkness. He has never known what it lo looks like to see a tree. He's never known what it looks like to see the face of his mom or his dad, his brothers or sisters if he has them. He's never known what it is to see. He was born this way. Verse 2. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who committed the sin that caused him to be born blind, this man or his parents? Do you see the categories that the disciples have for why this man was born blind? You see, it was a common understanding that if a person had a sickness, a disease, a disability, if they were impoverished, it was a common understanding in these cultures that you were sick, diseased, disabled, uh, impoverished, or bad things were happening to you because you were being judged by God. You see, they had an understanding of God. They had a category for God, and they had a category for God operating in the midst of history. But when it came to bad things, suffering, impoverishment, sickness, disease, all that kind of stuff, when it came to those kind of things, their understanding was, if that's you, you must be on the bad side of God. Someone has sinned because you have experienced judgment 
And so when they see a man born blind, their question is natural to them because their categories at this point, the way they've been taught, is someone is um, um, disabled from birth. The answer must be either they sinned in the womb or their parents sinned. That's their two categories. Either they sinned, so while they were in the womb, somehow they sinned. So they had an understanding that people are sinful from birth, but they had an understanding that you can sin in the womb. You must have done something in the womb. And that seems crazy to you. Um, just go back and reread some of the, the stories we read around Christmas about the babies in Elizabeth's room and Luke and in Matthew and see the type of interaction that takes place. How when Mary, who is who was pregnant early on with Jesus, shows up to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who's a little further along pregnant, and Elizabeth's baby, John the Baptist, leaps in her womb when Mary walks in pregnant with Jesus. But here, here, here their understanding is you've sinned in the womb. Somehow you are experiencing this, this disability, this blindness from birth because you've sinned. That's one possibility. Or the other possibility is, in their minds, your parents sinned. Your parents, somewhere along the way, disobeyed the Lord, and therefore now you are suffering the consequences of their sin. That's their two categories. Jesus, which is it? They're not even asking, God, why, Jesus, why is he born this way? They're asking, who sinned for him to be born this way? Do you, do you see how limiting their categories are at the moment? It's either this or it's that. You can either get to four by adding or subtracting. They've not yet been taught that there's addition, subtraction, square roots. Jesus, who sinned? Sometimes our categories for suffering are limiting upon God. See, we, 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 we look at someone who's suffering, and we're guilty of this too. Now, you read this and you're going, that is so insensitive. But just pay attention to the way you think about people when you see, well, they're poor. Some of us have thoughts that go through our mind when we see poor people on the streets or when we see poor people and they're, and they're not being able to make bills and we're going, your own choices. It's your fault. And it may be, all right? I'm not eliminating that category, but where do we default to? Why am I not in that boat? Because I honor the Lord and you don't, right? That's our category there, right? Or, or, or we, we see someone and we think, well, you, you, you know, it's a horrible thing that you're suffering from that sickness or disease. And we would never say it out loud, most of us, but some of you have been around people who do say it out loud. And, and, and the belief is your sickness, your disease, you don't have enough faith. You're sinning. That's why you're sick. That's why you don't have healing. That's why you have this disability. That's why you lost your job. Now, is there a category for that? Absolutely. That's next week's sermon. But our tendency is to default to that and only limit it to you sinned. You're getting that because of your sin. And we don't have categories to expand beyond that. See, sometimes our categories for suffering are limiting, too limiting, because we've been taught what those categories should be. Maybe we've been taught by a parent or grandparent. Maybe we've been taught by a Sunday school teacher or a pastor or even in seminary professors. And we've been taught that if someone's suffering, here's the reason. Sin equals suffering. And when we say sin equals suffering, we mean your personal sin. Or maybe we, we, we've been taught that your sin is a generational curse. Trace that back to your family. And it's because your great-grandfather was in the Ku Klux Klan. 
I said that wrong, but you got my point, right? And, and because they were in that, now you're experiencing. Now, is there a category that you might be experiencing consequences for someone else's actions? Absolutely. But when people talk about generational curses, what they mean is I'm getting this, this disability, this sickness, this disease, because I'm being held accountable for someone else's actions. And we have these categories that are far too limiting. So we've been taught. And our categories are limited because we've only been taught God only works in this way. The world only works in this way. If you're sick, it's because you lack faith. If you're, if you're not healed, it's because you don't believe. If you're experiencing some kind of disability or suffering, it's because you're in sin. Find it. And see, that's what Job's friends, when we looked at Job a couple weeks ago, that's what three of his friends were saying to him. Job, come clean. We know that God uh, exalts the righteous and punishes the wicked. The, we know that the righteous don't suffer. And so they were telling Job, come clean. You've obviously sinned in some way. And Job continued to maintain his innocence, continued to maintain his innocence. And by the end of the story of Job, we found out, no, there's other categories for suffering that Job's friends had no concept of. Sometimes we limit the categories of suffering because we've been taught that way. Or sometimes we're too limiting in our categories of suffering because of our own experience or lack of experience. Maybe all the suffering in my life that I'm aware of, I've experienced because I've sinned. Maybe I made sinful choices and I am now making the, the connection that my sinful choices led to this consequence, led to this consequence, led to this consequence. I've always suffered because of my sin. Therefore, since that's my experience, I'm going to project that on you and it must be your experience. We do that far too easily. We, 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 we project on others what our own experience is because this is how it worked for me. It must be how it's working for you. And so our categories are limited by our experience. Or perhaps, perhaps I've never had experience with someone suffering for another reason. Or I've never had a category for why someone could suffer beyond their sin. And so because I don't have the experience that there's other categories for suffering, like what Jesus is going to introduce us to, I have no category for your suffering. And I'm limiting what, what's, what God might be doing. Sometimes we are far too limiting in our categories on suffering. And that's where these guys were at. Rabbi, who committed the sin that caused him to be born blind? This man or his parents? A or B? But the Word of God illumines us to other categories for suffering. Now, I say the Word of God, and I want you to clue into something. When I say the Word of God in a church like this, you're thinking immediately what? The Bible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're, you're right to think that, and I'm, and I'm doing this on purpose. But what's the other possibility for a reference to the Word of God? Jesus. John 1.1. 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was with Him in the beginning. John 1.14. And the Word became flesh and dwelled among us. The Word of God, the Bible, reveals the Word of God, Jesus. You tracking? So the Word of God illumines us to other categories for suffering. The Bible, God revealing Himself through a written word, Jesus also reveals new categories for us. And that's what we see here in, in John chapter 9. So keep going, verse 3. Jesus answered them, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. It's not A or B. Their category just, their, their, their mind just blew up. They don't have a category for what Jesus just said to them. He hasn't even gone further. He's just said it's neither him or his parents who have sinned. 
And now he takes them further. But he was born blind so that the acts of God may be revealed through what happens to him. He was born blind. And the reason he was born blind was so that the acts of God might be revealed through what happens to him. Do you have a category for suffering to fit there? That perhaps you and I or others we know might be suffering, maybe even born into a form of suffering so that God's works might be displayed through them? See, our default is I'm suffering because of my sin. And we talked early on in the first couple of weeks that ultimately all suffering boils back to sin, right? Not, not necessarily my personal sin, but sin in the world, sin in creation, sin at the hands of evil people, sin because Satan has rebelled against God. Ultimately, there's suffering because of that, but we can't forget that God is sovereign, there's nothing greater, no one greater. There's no one that outranks him. There's no one that's more powerful than him. Do we have a category that says, I might be suffering, you might be suffering, maybe even born this way, so that God's works might be displayed through what happens to you? Now, of course, Jesus knew what was about to happen. But before we go there, I want you to, you can just glance here if you want, or you can go a few chapters over to John chapter 11. This is not the only place where Jesus has this category. You see, in John chapter 11, he has a, he has a friend who, whose name is Lazarus, and word gets to Jesus, who's a couple towns away, that Lazarus is sick and he's dying. And the word is, come so that Lazarus can be healed because Jesus has been healing people. So come, Lazarus needs to be healed. And here's Jesus' response at finding out that Lazarus is sick and likely to die. Verse 3, chapter 11, verse three, 3. So the sisters, which is Mary and Martha, the sisters sent a message to Jesus. Lord, look, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness will not lead to death. Now pause for a minute. If you know the story of Lazarus, what happens to Lazarus? He dies first, right? Okay, but Jesus says, this sickness will not lead to death, but to God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And if you know the story of Lazarus, you know Lazarus died four days in the tomb. Now, that's dead, dead in Eastern culture. Not just dead, it's dead, dead. You know why? Because they had this understanding that after so many days, your spirit actually separates from your, from your body and then you're really dead and there's no coming back. So Jesus has waited until after that point, confronting them in their cultural thinking that this man's dead, dead. He's decomposing at this point and he's stinky. That's why that tomb is sealed and he's wrapped up. And Jesus goes to them. He's been dead and he tells them, remove the stone. And you know the story, Lazarus. Come forth. This sickness does not lead to death, he says, but for God's glory. There's a category of suffering that we have to allow that includes you, I, someone we know, someone we love, might be suffering so that God can show his works through them. Go back to John chapter 9, verse 4. Jesus says, we must perform the deeds of the one who sent me as long as it is daytime. Night is coming when no one can work. Now that sounds kind of weird, right? But Jesus, Jesus is simply saying this, and Jesus will say this often in the Gospels. He does nothing apart from what he hears or sees the Father do. Is Jesus God? Yep, 100%. 
In him, all the fullness of deity dwells, is what Paul says in Colossians. But Jesus willingly came and submits himself in this life that he lived, submits himself to the Father, and will frequently say, I do only what I see the Father doing. I speak only what I hear the Father saying. He clearly came, submits himself to the Father, lives his life in dependence upon the Spirit, and he only does what he sees and hears the Father saying and doing. And so when he says, we must perform the deeds of the one who sent me, he's talking about God the Father. He's saying, we must do what God has sent me to do. And along the way, yes, ultimately God has sent Jesus to die, but along the way, God has sent Jesus to bring healing to this person, to bring healing to this person, to cast a demon out of that person, to, to, to make this person see this person here. Why? The question gets asked a lot of times when we talk about healings. Why? Does Jesus not heal everyone? There's a story, I think it goes back to John chapter 5, where there's a pool of Bethesda and there's all these crippled and lame people gathered around this pool because there was this belief that there's times where this pool gets stirred up. Now, the superstitious belief was maybe by an angel. The natural explanation is maybe it was a hot spring bubbling up. It doesn't really matter because sometimes people would get healed when they got in that pool. And so all these people would gather around this pool and if, if they could get into that pool first, perhaps they would be healed. This would be like a modern-day hospital. All the sick people gathered here. Jesus shows up, and guess how many were told that he heals? One. Why not all of them? Why not clean out the hospital? Why not clean out the pool of Bethesda? One is all we're told gets healed. Because Jesus can only do that which he sees the Father doing. And God is sovereign. He does as he pleases. And we don't always know the explanations for why. But I can tell you that some people, as we've been going through this series, some people suffering, it, it, God intends to do something about it in this life, and other people perhaps not. There's different categories for suffering. There's different categories for sickness. There's different reasons why God chooses to heal or doesn't choose to heal. And Jesus says, we must do the work of the one who sent me while it is daytime. And that's a reference to while he's here on this earth. But do you see what he says, the pronoun? We must do the works. So immediately with him was the disciples. Clearly, Jesus expected his disciples to go out and do the works that he's doing. In fact, they do. And we see in several spots in the Gospels where they are sent out and they're given authority to cast down demons and to heal. And then Jesus will tell them later that, hey, when I leave here, you're going to do far greater things than I do. The book of Acts, wait in Jerusalem until the Spirit comes upon you, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and then you will, you, you will receive power. And then you read through the book of Acts as we went through the last couple of years, and you see the things that Jesus' followers did. We must do the works of the one who sent me. And Jesus, as we saw in the book of Acts, is still continuing his ministry today while he's in heaven through the Spirit empowering his followers. We must do the work of the one who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. So he's referencing immediately. He's saying, there's going to be a day where I'm not going to be here. Night's coming. Right? So, hey, I'm with you now. So immediately he's saying, I'm with you now. Let's do this. We must do what the Father sent me to do. But there's going to be a time where I'm not with you. Verse 5, as long as I'm in the world... I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spat on the ground, made some mud and with saliva. He smeared the mud on the blind man's eyes and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which translated means sent. So the blind man went away and washed and came back seeing. Now, 
Why did Jesus spit in the mud? I don't know. There's lots of conjecture. Read a favorite commentary. They'll tell you their ideas. That's not really the point. There's other places where Jesus just spat on their eyes. Skip the mud. Right? There's other times where he gives people wet willies. Right? He spits on his finger and puts it in the ear so they can hear. I don't know why Jesus did it. I think there's certainly, definitely, there's something about touching someone that builds faith. But why mud in this case and just straight spit in the other? I don't know. But don't, don't get bogged down in that. Here's how he did it in this case. He made some mud. He spit. Mixed it together. Pasted it on the eyes. Now go wash it off. Why didn't he just say, see? I don't know. But this man has mud on his eyes. And he's told, go to this pool of Siloam, which means sent. He's sent to the pool. Wash it off. And when he washes it off for the first time in his life, he sees people's faces. He sees people walking around. He sees rocks. He sees trees. Now a world where he was just living in darkness has now been made light. Now the things where he had learned to see the world by touch and, and everything he navigated by touching, by feeling, by, by, by shuffling his feet just so he doesn't trip on something, now he can see it all. He's healed. And Jesus told his disciples, this man was not born blind because he sinned or his parents sinned. There's other categories for suffering. This man was born blind so that the works of God might be shown in what happens to him. Look what just happened. And now if you keep reading the story, and we're not this morning, you go on and you'll, you'll see that this man is ultimately, this is a Sabbath day, by the way, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, and yet Jesus healed on the Sabbath. Jesus picked up mud, which, by the way, in the Jewish tradition, not the law, picking up mud, guess what they just did according to Jewish law? They just tilled the ground. It says don't work in the law on the Sabbath. And the Jewish people were so intent after coming out of exile not to break the law that they created a fence around the law, their traditions, their rules. And here's what it might look like to, to work the ground. We want to avoid working the ground on the Sabbath. So just so everyone's on the same page, here's what it may look like to work the ground. We don't want to move any dirt around. So don't move a chair in your house. Because if you move that chair, then you're moving dirt. And you're guilty of tilling the ground. Here on the Sabbath, Jesus picks up some mud. Spits. And so it causes controversy. They're not consumed with the fact that this man was healed. No, no, no. As religious people do, when God works in miraculous ways, they try to explain away the miraculous or they choose not to see it. And instead they focus on, you got healed on the Sabbath? How dare you get healed on the Sabbath? How dare this man? You know this man is not the Messiah. He can't be because he healed you on the Sabbath. This is what religious people do. This is what we do when we get religious and we start trying to keep rules in order to earn righteousness or show and demonstrate righteousness. We start explaining away the things of God and instead we start focusing on, why did you do that? I don't do that. I've kept these rules. This can't be happening because you clearly didn't obey the standards that we created. And the story plays out and he's gone before the council and he's giving testimony about what's going on. Parents are brought before the council. Is this your son? Because at one point they're thinking, this is not the man. 
that sat at the gate forever. No, he just looks like the man who sat at the gate forever. So they bring the parents of the man in. Yep, that's our son. He was blind. Now he sees. I don't know. Ask him. It's a great story. It really shines a light on, on, on legalism and our hearts that can get so calloused and so hard that because we're focusing on our own standards, proving our own righteousness as if we had any apart from Christ, we miss what God's doing. Sometimes God intends to show his works through your suffering. Do you have a category for that? Now, now, now here's the thing. So I've been saying week in and week out, we tend to default towards if I'm suffering, it's because I've sinned. And then I keep seeing right after that, I keep saying, there's a category for that and it's coming in the sermon. That's next week's sermon. But our tendency is to default there. And what I want us to not do is default there. And so some of you have been defaulting there. You've got sickness, you've got disease, you've got some kind of disability, you've got something going on in your life, and your category for suffering is God must be getting me back for fill in the blank. I must be suffering this because of fill in the blank. And you've got guilt and you've got shame that you're carrying around that is not yours to carry. It's misplaced. And it's not what God intends for you. And your suffering needs to expand the categories because perhaps some of you are suffering and it has nothing to do with your personal sin. Now, you might be. So I don't want you to listen to me and if you are someone who is living a life that is in delving in sin, indulging in sin, delving, I combine two words, and you're, you're, you're indulging in sin, this is not a pass for you. If you're indulging in sin, you absolutely might be suffering because of that. And you need to have that category as your focus. But some of you, some of you, you've searched your heart and you've asked the Lord to show me what is it. And nothing's being revealed to you. There's nothing there that he's saying, this is why. You need to expand your category. And you need to cast off the guilt and the shame that you're carrying because of that suffering. And, and you need to allow God to expand that category. That's not your guilt and shame to carry. You put that there. God didn't. And so some of you need to be set free from that so that you can instead walk freely before the Lord, trusting Him, trusting His goodness and His love for you and, 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 and just embracing whatever the category is for you, whether He chooses to reveal it or not. Some of you need to be set free this morning. Others of you this morning, we are talking about this man who was born blind from birth. He lived in a world of darkness. Here's something you need to know about the Gospel of John. John often in his Gospel talks on two levels. Physical, often in the Gospel of John, represents spiritual. Light and darkness in the Gospel of John often mean more than just physical light and darkness. And here, Jesus says, this man was born this way so that God's works could be displayed in what happens to him. Listen, there's far more going on than just the physical healing. And sometimes God heals physical ailments so that he can communicate spiritual truths. This man was born in darkness, physically. Listen, you read through the scriptures, just read through the book of John, you find out we are born spiritually in darkness. Because Adam sinned, all sinned. And because Adam sinned, death entered the world. And therefore, all are held guilty of sin. Romans 5, 12. We are all born into a dark, sin-ridden world, and we are already infected and impacted by sin. Spiritually, we are blind. And there's scriptures like 2 Corinthians 4.4 that talks about needing to have the veils removed from our eyes. 
Well, that's a picture of being blind and needing to be able to see again. And so Jesus goes to this man who is born blind physically, and at the same time, we are to see in this, there's spiritual blindness that we're all we're born into, and we can't see Jesus for who he is. This physically blind man could not see the face of Jesus, didn't know who he was until he came back around later in the story. And Jesus says, do you believe in the Messiah? And he says, tell me who he is. He says, I am the one you're talking to. We need Jesus to open our eyes. We need God's spirit to remove the veils that have been put there so that we can see past the darkness that we're born into and see Jesus for who he is. The savior that God has sent, the Messiah, the promised one, the one who came and, and lives a life of perfect obedience to God in the place of people who can't. But yet we really try. And then the same Jesus goes and he dies the death that we, sinful people, deserved. He didn't. And he did that so that those who believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. There is a spiritual picture going on in this story. Sometimes God intends to show his works through your suffering. Listen, some of you, the response this morning is, God, I need to see. God, would you open my eyes that I will see you and see your Savior, Jesus, for who he is and who you've sent him to be. Here's what I want to do this morning. As we wrap this up, I'm not going to have Jeff come up this morning um, to play a song. We're going to pray. And then I'm going to dismiss you. But listen to this part. Some of you this morning are sick, physically have disabilities. Maybe spiritually you're, you've got something or emotionally you've got something going on too. We want to pray for you this morning. If you are willing... And so after we dismiss, I've got elders, I've got some prayer team people that are going to be available all throughout this room. If you would like prayer for healing. Now listen, I, I don't know what God wants to do. I don't know if he's going to do anything. We're going to ask him and we're going to ask him knowing that, that God hears the prayers of his children. He tells us to pray our father. So we're coming to him as children. We're going to pray along the lines of like what Luke talks about in chapter 11. Which one of you fathers, when your child comes to you and asks for, for a fish, is going to give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, you're going to give him a scorpion instead? Of course not, he says in Luke 11. If you, being evil, know how to give your kids good gifts, how much more your heavenly father gives gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask. We're going to come before the Father and we're going to pray for whoever of you wants to be prayed for and we're going to ask, Lord, in your compassion, in your mercy, we're asking for healing here. And listen, when we pray for healing, let me just throw this out there and I, you take it how you want to take it. This is something that I've learned over the last couple years and I've really tried to stop doing. I stopped praying, God, if it's your will. Guess Why? Because he's sovereign. He's going to do his will regardless. And oftentimes what happens is I say, if it's your will, because I'm trying to protect my own self. If, God, you don't do anything, then I can fall back behind, it's not your will. Or, God, I'm trying to protect you not showing up as if I can defend God. And so I've stopped praying, God, if it's your will, heal. I boldly pray, God, heal. And if he chooses not to, I don't have to make excuses for God. God defends himself. If God chooses not to heal, God chooses not to heal. He's sovereign. Who am I? And so we're going to pray for you. And if you're praying for people, I encourage you to consider that as well. And if, you're, if you find yourself praying for other people who need to be healed, catch yourself if you're praying, if it's your will, and that's really actually just a cover-up for your own fear or, or, or of being foolish or being, being trying to defend God. Catch yourself if that's what's going on. There's a category for God to heal now, today. He's compassionate. 
He's merciful. He loves his children. And sometimes we don't have because we don't ask. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to ask for whoever of you wants to stick around. And so I'm going to close this in prayer. I'm going to dismiss this. And, and then I'm going to uh, call up those who are available to pray. And we're just going to spread out across the room. Find somebody. You might be praying with someone one-on-one. -on -one. At some point, we might come and group around you, if that's okay. But we want to pray and ask for God to do what he wants to do. Because perhaps, perhaps some of you are suffering this morning and God intends to show his works through your suffering. I don't know. So God, give us faith. God, not the, not the type of faith that we trust in Christ to save us. No, not the converting type of faith. Not even just the continuous type of faith that we live our life in trusting Jesus uh, continuously, but God, the, the spirit-infused type of faith that goes far beyond what we, we can ever muster up on our own. The kind that, that just squashes doubt. The kind that, that just squashes any type of fear. God, give us that this morning in your grace and in your mercy. God, there are some here this morning who perhaps they need their categories expanded. And it's uncomfortable for whatever reason. Maybe it goes against something they've been taught forever. Maybe it goes against something they've seen abused. And so in seeing something abused, they've gone the complete opposite direction. God, bring them back and show them that just because something's abused doesn't mean we toss it all away. But instead, we pursue that which is good and that which you call us to. And so, God, I, I pray that you would expand some categories this morning when it comes to suffering and how you work. Grow us up. God, there's others this morning who are living their life in darkness. They've never known Christ. They've never seen him as Savior. And this morning, God, I pray that you would open their eyes and shed your light, the light of Christ in their lives this morning, that they would see him for the first time as exalted Savior, the one whom you sent to die in the place of sinful people so that sinful people who are believing in Christ might receive eternal life. God, I pray that you would open their eyes this morning. before we dismiss, for those of you who are available to pray, those of you elders, those of you on the prayer team who'd like to stick around and pray, would you go ahead and make your way to some place in the room? We can have several people up front. We can have some people on the sides. Stick around in the back if you'd like. Just go ahead and make your way now. That way you're ready once we dismiss for people to, to come. And fathers, they're moving. If you might be pleased to send your spirit in a way today that leaves us going, no way. That was not human manufactured. Only God. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.